You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Uh, One of the iconic films of Australian film, The Castle. And as we would have seen as they go on there uh, in the rest of that clip, there's one thing that Dale loves even more than the serenity. And that's the sound of a two-stroke engine on full bore. And he says to his wife there, ah, can you smell that? (laughs) Two-stroke. Guys, uh, we've been travelling through the book of Galatians. Last week I left you hanging a little bit because uh, chapter 13 of verse 5 said to to not abuse your freedom that you have in Christ, uh, to gratify the sinful uh, desires of the heart. And last week's passage showed us that gospel freedom leads us to a whole new motivation for obedience to God, that we no longer obey because we have to, but because we want to. The gospel freedom is a freedom from and a freedom for. Now, the question tonight is, how does, as we finish up this whole series, how does being realigned to freedom, gospel freedom, actually lead us to change? How does it lead us to change? Remember the whole background of this book? The Galatians were experiencing issues of racial pride. The Galatians were experiencing issues of disunity. Uh, The Galatians were experiencing issues of parts of their church being led astray in their core doctrine. And what was Paul's solution to it all? Was it to challenge them to live better and to try harder and to do more and to do all this because the Bible says so? No, it was his, his solution was to call them to live out the implications of the gospel. Now I have to ask you, we're at week five, do you get it? Do you get it? See, because the whole key to this series is that we, it's, we live around the truth of the gospel, but to some degree we don't get it. And that the, the key to, to deeper spiritual uh, change is, is a continual rediscovery of that gospel. And what does that actually look like? Can you smell that? Two stroke. You see, the gospel is a two-stroke engine for change. I've said that once before. Two-stroke, it's, the, it's a two-fold discipline of repentance and rejoicing and repentance and rejoicing and repentance and rejoicing. That's what we're going to look at tonight. It's two-stroke. That's what we've seen thus far, that the gospel is gospel's not demtel Christianity. I know you want more. It's not adding to the work of Christ. The gospel is uh, not is it, the gospel's a spirograph that it that through its 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 structure and the guide that it gives to our lives draws out patterns we couldn't draw ourselves. That the gospel is Christianity, not Christianity. That it's an experience. It's not adhering to set beliefs and religious beliefs. And that the gospel, unlike George Michael's philosophy, uh, is quite different in its understanding of freedom. It's not that I, I don't belong to you and you don't belong to me, but it's that we belong to Jesus Christ and he belongs to us. Tonight, what I'm trying to say is the gospel is a two-stroke engine for change. Now, the Bible reading tonight comes to us from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through to 26, if you've got your Bibles with you. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not know what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you're not under law. The acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not enter the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience 
and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. There's something radically different about a two-stroke engine if you're not a rev head. Uh, some people here are mechanics and they'll be able to explain it to you after the service. But what is absolutely, you see, what is unique about a two-stroke engine is, and you, you would never want this to happen in a normal four-stroke engine. If you did this in a four-stroke engine, it would be deadly. It would, it, it, would, it would muck the whole thing up. It wouldn't fire. It wouldn't work. The two-stroke engine is different because oil and fuel are both mixed into the same mixture that combusts. Now, what's that got to do with the reading tonight? Paul's saying the oil and fuel are mixed into your combustion chamber when it comes to change by the gospel. Verse 17 says, For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't know what you want. What Paul is saying is that there's two different natures at work inside the combustion chamber of the Christian. That is the flesh and the spirit. And so this is paralleled in Romans chapter 7, verses 22 to 23, where he says, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? That's positive thinking, isn't it? The question is, how do they influence us? Verse 16 and and, and verses 24 of this passage, Paul talks about desire. Now, the way it often got translated was the word lust. And when we think of lust, we think of sexual desire, but that's not what it means. What it means here, really, it's literally translated as an over-desire, a controlling longing, uh, something that is driving us. Now, this is crucial because what he's saying is that sinful desires are the things that begin to control or drive us. And so the the, the irony here is that often these desires, they're not bad things, they're not evil things, they can be good things. We've heard this before, haven't we? When these good things, when they become over-desires, the good things turn into ultimate things and they they begin to drive us. So in this whole book, Paul's been warning us not to lose your freedom. Don't go back to the slavery living under the law. And the question we've been asking ourselves is, how does that happen? Why does it happen? And Paul is saying here tonight that it's the over-desire of the flesh that drives us back underneath the law, that takes us away from the, the, the line of the gospel. But here's the good news then. Also note verse 17 says, it says that the spirit wars against the flesh. It says the spirit uh, does what is contrary to the sinful nature. It means the flesh, the, not only are there desires, over-desires of the flesh, but in some sense, and it's a bit weird to explain it this way, but there are the desires of the spirit. What's the, what's the Spirit's desire? The work of the Spirit, as we said before, is to glorify Jesus Christ, is to point to Jesus, to light up Jesus. The desire of the Spirit is just as strong. And what, what, what does the Spirit want? That we're conformed, that we're shaped, that we're moulded into the image of Jesus. Romans 8, chapter 28. And so that's great news because even when we fall into sin, even when we do things that are not right, even when we have an epic fail, we can say, that's not who I am. I, I war against these desires of the flesh, but the Spirit wants me to be like Jesus. Uh, two-stroke engine is radically different. There, oil and fuel mixed in at once. There's two natures at work within us: the 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 the, the nature of flesh, the nature of the Spirit. They're war, they're warring against each other. They're constantly at war. How do we win the war? Then that's a question. 
Well, that's because the first stroke of this engine that is repenting and rejoicing, repenting and rejoicing. The first stroke in all of that is, of course, repentance. Now, to continue the automotive theme tonight, does the term bog mean anything to you guys? Um, it, it could do. It might be when your wheels get stuck in the dirt, but um, bog from an automotive perspective, and I, I should really know, and I owned, a, I owned a classic car at one point in my life. Um, bog was this sort of substance that you used to patch up holes in the structure and the integrity of your car. And so when I went going to uh, buy my MG, uh, as I did, it was an older car and it looked beautiful on the outside. And then uh, I had my cousin with me one, one weekend and he took me there and he, he got his light out and he, sh- he shone it. He looked down the panel of the entire car and he said, Sam, see all, those, see all those ripples in there? He said, that's bog. It's been bogged. And so, and, and, and it's, it's, so I looked down there and now the, the paint was shiny. The surface looked fantastic. From a distance, it looked perfectly smooth in the panel. But beneath the surface, it had been bogged. What am I, what am I saying? Bog is a cheap substance that is used to patch up the integrity of the car. And the problem is you look at the surface of it and you think it's totally sound. But then you exert any real pressure on it. It feels flimsy. It feels clumsy. It, it, it feels crumbly. It feels fake. What what does repentance mean? In one sense, repentance is to identify where we've bogged up the structure of our lives. (laughs) That is, we identify our systems of self-saving. To look at that is repent. Now, when we hear the word repent, often people think they hear that. It sounds like a bit of rebuke. You got to repent. You got to repent of your sin. And we hear that. We hear that. We see it on TV. We see it in the Southern America. Repent. Look, we always think that repent means to turn your life around, do a U turn, turn your life around. And when you go and look at the word repent in the Bible, it's actually the word metanoiete. It actually means to think about your thinking. Actually, it doesn't mean to, 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 to do a 180. When we hear a 180 turn, we, th- we think that it's a 180 turn. We, we're doing this behavior, we're going to turn around and do. Do the exact opposite when we repent. We do this behaviour, we're going to turn around and do the exact, exact opposite. No, it's not, what it, it's not what the word means. It means to think about your thinking. Think about your life strategy. Thinking about what you're doing. And so uh, ultimately, if we think about repentance as just turning around, then we think it's just about behaviour modification. Just got to change my behaviour. But that, that's not what it's saying here. It means to think about your life strategy. That's why when you hear the gospel, if someone said to you, hey, can I, can I tell you a story about a guy who in fact is more than a guy, he's God and he comes down and he, he inhabits flesh that God becomes man and he breaks into humanity and he lives amongst us and he teaches and he died and he was resurrected and that there is a life after death. Repent. Really that word is saying, how's your life strategy in light of this truth? It's talking nothing about behaviour modification. It's talking about in light of this truth that God has broken into the world, think about your thinking. (laughs) Think about your life strategy here. Repent. And so see how how this view and definition of repent can affect how we see things. Verses 19 to 21, acts of sinful nature are obvious. The acts of the sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, etc., etc. Look, Paul is saying when you see these sorts of things, they're sticking out like bog on the surface of the car. He's saying you've, you've, you've bogged up the car. But the gospel, look, the gospel is saying, see here it says hatred and jealousy and envy. The gospel call to repent is not to say, go and, it's not saying go and do the opposite of whatever is happening there. It's saying that the question is why are you doing it in the first place? 
the power of, of the changing power of the gospel is at the roots uh, at the root of the fruits of the flesh is a system of self salvation. You've bogged the car up. You think it's looking smooth on the outside, but you've bogged it up. And so in that way, repentance is not opposing behaviour, but it's the identification of our self-saving systems. Now, it's not a passive process. I mean, is repentance just saying, oops, sorry, 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 sorry. I remember watching Georgie Gregan and the Wallabies and and they were just continually doing penalty after penalty after penalty after and he'd go up to the ref and Georgie was always such a sweet talker, wasn't he? Uh, He'd he'd go up to, oh, I'm so sorry, ref. And it got to a point where the the ref said, look, enough of saying sorry, I've got to see a change of (laughs) behaviour. Repentance is, is more than just saying sorry, it's, the, it's Georgie Gregan's principle. It's, it's, we've got to see a change in behaviour. And so that's why Paul says in verse, uh, verse 18, verse 24 as well, that it's also about dismantling these systems of self-salvation. Verse 24, for those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Now, what does it mean to crucify the sinful nature? We've heard, we've heard that term in Colossians chapter four, uh, 3, remember, when Paul says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on the things above, set your mind on the things above. Therefore, put to death all your anger and your rage and your malice and your slander. Remember that? Again, look at his pattern, identity and behaviour change. Uh, And so he's saying put to death. Now, the mistake we often make is we hear crucify the flesh and we think we've just got to stop doing all the bad things we do from a bodily perspective. (laughs) But but it's a mistake to to think that. And so as a result, we think we've got to withdraw from the world and we we, we can't go out there because we might do bad things and we can't go here because we might do bad things. Look, it's a mistake. Paul's saying, he's not saying to crucify bodily desires. What he's saying is to put to death your inherent drive to live under the law. Because that's what the, the, the nature of the flesh is, to, to have us to live under law. You know, you say, oh, no, I don't do that. Well, what he's saying is it means to dismantle our idols. It means to dismantle the last little bit of you, the things that you've got to do, any other little thing, any other little bit of good behaviour in order to be right with God. Because what's that? That's a different gospel. And a different gospel, as Paul said, we heard it in week one, is no gospel at all. There will always be a residual part of you. We're inherently built that way that says, if only I just did this, uh, even after I've had the epic fail, if I, just, if I just do something a little bit better, then I can earn my way back up to God again, he says, that's a different gospel. And so, you know, what does that look like? What it looks like tonight is Jesus is not asking you to repent or think about your behaviour tonight. Repentance means to dismantle the reasons why there's selfish ambition, why there's dissension, why there's fits of rage, why there's envy in your life, if it's there. Now, pause a second here. Look, look at this list. You know the irony? Selfish ambition, dissension, fits of rage, envy. You know the irony with that? You can see that list of different things happening just as much in the church as you do outside of the church. Ouch. See, what I love about that is, 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 Paul, uh, is Paul, Paul, Paul shows us here and the Word of God shows us here that God doesn't make distinctions between uh, the, with the fr- uh, fruits of the flesh out here between, but, between, oh, they just belong to the bad people. <laughs> because what it's saying here is good people, the morally upright people, the religious people can still just have the same sort of fits of rage and the envy and the jealousy within them. And what he's saying is there's no distinction between different grades of sin. You see, we have this inclination to think, oh, yeah, sexual immorality, that's one of the big ones. Well, yeah, I'll stick clear of that one. But this one over here, yeah, a bit of envy. 
you know, I can get, a, get away with that. Look, there's no distinction. There's no distinction. What, what that means for us tonight is that all of life needs repentance, not just, not just for our bad deeds, but for our good deeds as well. Not just for the bad stuff, but the good stuff. You know? And what Paul is saying is that if this fruit of the flesh is emerging in your life, then it's a sign. Now, remember, it's a sign. It's not a sense of condemnation. It's not a pass mark. It's not a little report card to say that you're no longer a worthy Christian if a bit of envy has popped up in your life. It's just a sign that you've still got a bit of bog remaining. There's still a bit of a bog up there and you patched, patched up life with a bit of, a bit of bog. And so what, what we see here is that the first step to actual gospel change is repentance. It means to undertake the discipline of identifying and dismantling your systems of self-salvation. Now, what do you mean? It means you need to cut the bog out of your life. It means analysing what's hidden beneath the surface. It means looking at what's popping up or what is propping up the integrity of your life, finding out what it is and beginning to cut it out. Beginning to, beginning to weld back in the panels of Christ-likeness into your life. Now, now, it's just not sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Georgie Cregan principle. The gospel leads us to repentance, not merely by, by just sort of setting our will against superficial issues. Real repentance is to analyse the reasons why behind your behaviour, why you're seeing those fruits of the flesh pop up in your life. And they will. We're not perfect. They will. But it's a sign, not condemnation. So on the other hand, if, if it's all repentance, is this just a beat up? If it's all repentance, if we're all just repent, if we're all just repent, but it's repentance and rejoicing, repentance and rejoicing, repentance. And re- it, it, the, the engine's got a circular motion. You've got to have a bit of both. And so the second stroke of the gospel tonight, guys, gospel change is rejoicing. Rejoicing. Now, a lot of people are rejoicing uh, this week or over the past couple of weeks because Thorpey is getting back into swimming. I know it's big news. Uh, forget all the fashion and all the other news. Atta- Thorpey's actually getting back to what he's actually good at. Uh, no. I wasn't a huge fan of his fashion. Anyway, and, and so Thorpey's saying here that he's, he's, um, he's in fact going to go back and he's got a new, uh, a new coach, Gennady Todeski or something. I figure you've always got to have a coach with ski on the end of their name if you're going to do well in the Olympics. It's always a ski. And so Gnensky's going to be his new coach. And I'm thinking, why does Thorpey need a coach? He's the superfish. He's got feet the size of flippers. He's won that many gold medals. Surely he just goes back to his old little swimming file. He pulls it out again. Oh, that's right. Um, right that's cool. <laughs> right over left. Get in the water, Thorpey. Do your job. But no, even Ian Thorpe, one of the greatest um, swimmers that we've ever seen in the world, understands that he needs a coach. He needs a coach because a coach shares, shows you where you've been going wrong. A coach corrects poor technique. But a coach is also there to encourage you, to inspire you, to point you towards the goal that you're heading for, to help you see the small changes in your progress, to bring the best out of you. Now, some of you might be sitting here tonight and thinking, I don't need a coach. I'm doing all right. I'm doing fine. I've got it. Arm over arm. That's cool. I understand what the Christian life's all about. You might be saying, I'm right. I'm saved by faith. I get it. It's cool. I get it. But secretly, deep down, you're asking yourself, where's the power? Where is this power that he's been talking about? Where is this change that he's been talking about? Where is this difference in my life that he's been talking about? I know I'm righteous. I know it says, uh, imputed righteousness, the righteousness that, that, that God has placed onto me through the work of Jesus. I, I, I get that. I'm right with God. But why aren't I seeing that translating into the rest of my life? And see, the reality, the reality of gospel growth is that you will change. I keep saying it. It won't happen overnight, but it, it will happen. 
Okay, gospel change will happen. And so why aren't I moving from my imputed righteousness to an actual righteousness? Why aren't I growing? And, and what it's saying here is that you're not doing business with your justification. We talked about it. It's the nosebleed theology of this entire series that you've been made legally right with God, not because of your past, because of Christ's past, not because of your work, but because of Jesus' work. That is the absolute pinnacle of this book. And, and the reason you're not seeing change is because you're not doing business with your justification. And as one commentator says, Burkow says, it's a mistake to ask. We, we know we have imputed righteousness. But now how do we move on to actual righteousness? Look, we do not move on. Any particular flaw in our actual righteousness stems from a corresponding failure to orient ourselves towards our imputed righteousness. Sanctification, that means how we grow to be more like Jesus. Remember, that's the goal of the Holy Spirit. Happens to the degree that we feed on or orient to or do business with the pardon, righteousness and new status that we now have in Christ imputed through faith. You're not changing because you're not doing business. You're not doing business with justification, the centerpiece of the Christian faith. And so rejoicing means to do business with your justification. It means how we grow is solely dependent on how well you get it. Because if you don't get it, you're always going to wander off one way or the other. I'm going to have to do something more. I'll have to do a little less. I go crazy. Legalism, license. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to test it out. What does rejoicing mean? It means you test out. Your justification, the fruits of the Spirit, verse 22, but the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. We know it. We know it. But you see, the, the, the fruits of the Spirit, when we test it out, is like, you know, the little chlorine sticks when you've got a pool and you have to uh, get one of the chlorine sticks and put it in the pool and wipe it around in the water a bit. And if you shake it for a little bit, then there's all these different coloured patches on the chlorine stick and then you hold it up to the side of the bottle and you say, yeah, I've chlorinated my pool to the right degree. You see, the fruits of the Spirit are are, are merely a way for us to to take our lives like the chlorine stick and hold it up to that and say, am I seeing love? Am I seeing joy? Am I seeing peace? Am I seeing patience? You see, the worst possible thing you can do is to go and hunt them down as if you can sort of run after them and get them. You see, you don't become a loving person by trying to be a more loving person. It doesn't work that way. It's the, it's, it's, these are the overflow in the same way that you don't get an apple by trying to smack around a seed in the ground a little more. It has to go through its process of growing into being a tree and producing fruit. Gospel change is slow and it's gradual and the fruit is simply a test that the Spirit is at work in your life. It's like the litmus test on the pool chlorine. So you've got to test it, but then also you've got to, and I loved what Carol said in her baptism tonight, wasn't the ultimate test in seeing how authentic and genuine the gospelized change that's happened in her life? What did she say? She said, I felt so close, the experience for the Holy Spirit in my life that she said, it's amazing, it was straight out of the Bible, that she said, I needed to walk in step with the Spirit. I'm thinking, preach it, Carol. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I'm thinking the Holy Spirit was already talking through a testimony tonight. Amen. Uh, we we not only test rejoicing is not only testing out how we are like the pool climb, but it's also walking in step with the spirit. John sixteen uh, chapter sixteen verse thirteen says, "But when he the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own; he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you." 
That's the job of the Spirit is, is, to, is, is to take what, what's that? Paul's saying the Spirit's your coach. It's the Spirit ski. He's the ultimate Eastern European, the Holy Spirit ski is saying, and, and that's the whole premise of this Spirit, uh, th- this series. We, we think we get the gospel until we pull the chlorine strips out and we go, oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm, I'm not matching up here. And we, we don't get it. And, and then we look at it and we say, ouch. And at that split second that you feel unworthy, at the split second that you think that you're doing something wrong, at the split second that you think you've got to do more than that, the spirit ski comes along and says, hey, I'm here. Woo. Wrong technique. The spirit's got a job to do. It says, hey, look at your position in Jesus Christ. Go on. Go back. Do business with your justification. Go on. Quiet time. That's how the Spirit works in our life. And so the Spirit's got a job to do to create a renewed heart in the sons. That includes you two girls. In the sons of God. It's got a job to renew the heart in the sons of God. Guys and girls, evidenced by the fruit. The fruit's not a means to get there, but processed by walking in line with the super coach, the spirit ski. What does that look like? Look, you can watch a, th- you, you can watch a 3D movie without glasses. You can watch that, but it's, it's going to look fuzzy. You can hear the audio. You can get an idea of what the story is about, it, but it's going to look grainy. You might have a headache after about 15 minutes of doing it, but you can watch a 3D movie without 3D glasses. What am I trying to say? The Holy Spirit's like a set of 3D glasses to the Word of God and to the reality of Jesus Christ in your life. You know, when you put, put the Holy Spirit's glasses on, it makes Jesus so clear and so vivid and so real that he just seems to pop out at you. Whoa, he's like right there, man. Whoa, it's like a super Jesus. You see, that's the word. The, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to you. It brings it out. That's a work of the Spirit. And so what does it mean to walk in step with the Spirit? It's more than simple obedience. The Spirit's a person. It's a guide. It's your coach, the spirit ski. The coach, the coach is the one that's with you the whole time. The coach is the one that is correcting you. The coach is the one that is encouraging you. The coach is the one that is saying, come on, you can do this. The, the coach is the one saying, hey, you've got a goal here and it's to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 28, that's the role of the spirit. He's your super coach. So what does it mean for me practically tonight? It means you've got to get in the pool. We'll start swimming some laps. You're not going to become a good swimmer going down the runway, uh, fashion runway that is. Thorpey understood that. Thorpey's got to get back in the pool. <laughs> He's got some work to do. He said, well, what if I don't want to? And I, I, that's a real thing. That's a real thing for some people tonight. What if you walk out of this place and you're realistically saying to me tonight, Sam, you don't understand what is going on in my life. I'm not up for this super spiro stuff. You know, when it comes down to when I don't even want to think about Jesus. And I can understand that. I've had moments of dry times in my spiritual life. What if I don't want to? What if I don't want to focus on Jesus? What if I don't, if I don't feel like it? Then your process is to submit to the super coach because it's the, the, the super coach, the spirit ski, you know, it's, it, it's his job. Uh, it's his job to, to point you back to him. It's, look, Christianity, remember, Christianity is not turning over a new leaf. Christianity is not a, a whole new chapter in life. Christianity is not in, inspir- just inspiration. Christianity is not just nice feelings. Christianity is a power. 
It's a power that's come in from outside of you. And if you're here tonight going, I just don't even feel like I've got that power in your life. You know, the good news for you is when you call yourself a Christian, Jesus himself sends his spirit into your life. And that is his job to conjure up those spirits, uh, those feelings. It's his job of the spirit to get you to begin to rejoice. It's his job as the spirit uh, to, to get you to rejoice regardless of your circumstances. Because it's not about feelings or about circumstances, you see. If our problem, if the cause of the war between the flesh and the spirit, the oil and the fuel is the over-desire of good things, then you need, as, as uh, Chalmers put it, one of the old great, great preachers, we said this before, but you need the expulsive power of a new affection. If something has the ultimate affection in your life, you need the expulsive power of a new one. What am I trying to say here? You need the spirit to help you to meditate on all that Jesus has done for you. The Spirit points you to, back to the reality of who Jesus is. The Spirit is the 3D glasses. He makes Jesus pop out at you. And in those times when you don't feel like it, Jesus begins to pop out and you rejoice. You rejoice, you, you say, because of Jesus, I'm not only forgiven of my bad deeds, but I inherit his good deeds as well. Because of Jesus, I'm accepted on the basis of not my record, but his record. Because of Jesus, I'm right with God and I've got no need to find my own rightness. Because of Jesus, I'm a kid of the King. Because of Jesus, I've changed my hairstyle. Because of Jesus, I obey because I want to, not because I have to. That's the work of the Spirit. Now note, this is not some intellectual exercise. There has to be an aspect in which Christianity goes from the head to the heart. It's an experience. And what the gospel calls us to do is just to worship and adore him until our hearts find Jesus more beautiful than the object we felt we had to have. The work of the Spirit is to change us into the likeness of Christ. Slowly and gradually, not all at once, by showing us his glory, make him pop out to us. And as a result, we begin to experience the freedom that we have in him. So the spirit is your coach. And lots of times I'm sure Thorpe felt like he didn't want to get out of bed. Don't want to. He needed correction. He needed slight adjustments. He needed to be realigned to freedom. The freedom of swimming like the super fish that he is. And so as we realign to freedom, as we realign to the gospel, then we begin to see the slow and the gradual changes into love and into joy and into peace, into the patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Rejoicing, here it is, rejoicing is a spirit-enabled discipline of testing out and living out our position in Jesus Christ. It means you've got some work to do this week. It means you've got to get in the pool. It means tonight, and here's, as we finish up tonight, here's the application that the secret, the gospel change, is the joyful repentance of the self-righteousness under both our bad things and our good things. Paul was saying that the remaining sin in our hearts, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, is the drive to consistently live under the, war, uh, under the law. In, in other words, you're always going to want to go back and keep bogging up your life. It's easy to do it that way. <laughs> but bog is flimsy, bog is fragile. Bog is clumsy, bog is crumbly. So are the idols of the human heart. So are the things that we think will achieve us rightness with God. The gospel leads us to repentance, not by setting our wills. I said this against superficialities on the stuff on the surface. Gospel doesn't lead us to repentance by just giving us a new, 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 new paint job. But by taking gospelized panels, patching them back into our lives, changing us from the inside out, building the car again from the, the, the inside out. The, the secret to gospel change is joyful repentance 
of our self-righteousness under both the bad things and the good things. What am I trying to say? Gospel change is a two-stroke engine of repentance and rejoicing and repentance and rejoicing and repentance and rejoicing and repentance and rejoicing. <laughs> please, guys, please, please tell me you see it differently after six weeks. Please tell me that you see it different in Jesus' name after six weeks of doing this. The key to this whole series has been that we live around the truth of the gospel, but to some extent we don't get it. Have you come to a realisation that we haven't got it and we never will get it fully? But the key to gospel change is to constantly be renewed by a rediscovery of what the gospel really is. And in that sense, the gospel is not the beginner doctrines. The gospel is not the little baby blocks that we piece together when we first become a Christian. It's not the ABCs of Christianity, but it's the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is God's guidebook for how you can be realigned to freedom. So my challenge to you tonight. Oh, can you smell that? Two stroke. <laughs> I want this place... I want to believe this place. I dream this place each and every Sunday as we come to Bonnie Doon. <laughs> ah, the serenity. <laughs> I pray, look, the, the ultimate father loves nothing more, nothing more than serenity than to hear a two-stroke engine going at full bore. I'd pray in this place that every time we walk out of here is the residual smell of two-stroke in the air. Gospel change is a two-stroke engine of repentance and rejoicing. How do you need to work on your engine this week? Is it running? Is it working? Is it smooth? Is it happening? Maybe, maybe some of you, maybe one of you here tonight hasn't even got the spark to make that thing go around. You know, that is, that is the faith in Jesus Christ. If you've not accepted him into your life, if your life is not combusting with a power that is beyond you, <laughs> can I encourage you, exhort you to ask Jesus Christ that spark into your life tonight to start an engine going that will begin now and move for all eternity. Repentance, rejoicing, repentance, rejoicing, changing us into the very likeness of Jesus himself. You smell that? Two-stroke. Let's pray. Father, we, we don't get it. And as we've spent six weeks in this book, Luther's book, a book that gave rise to one of the greatest changes in the church that history has ever seen, the rise of Protestantism. Lord, I pray tonight that we understand that the gospel is so much more than those baby doctrines. It's not only good news, but it's the way that we live our life. Father, each of us, right down from the baby Christian to the most mature Christian in this place tonight, needs to continually rediscover the good news that is in the work and the person of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that, that this week, not just this week, for our lives continuing into this year and the years to come, that we might get that, that we might continually look back to the super coach and listen to his still small voice amongst uh, the roar of everything else that is going on in our lives for the gentle correction and the rebukes and the realignment to freedom that we've been seeking throughout this whole series. Father, if there are people that are still stuck under uh, the bondage and the slavery that is their own uh, desires to think that they need to be right with God. Father, I pray that those chains are broken tonight in the name of Jesus. Father God, I pray that tonight people will rediscover the freedom that is found in Jesus, the freedom that is found in the gospel. Father, I pray tonight that uh, there are lives that will be turned upside down because of the power of your word and the truth that it speaks to each and every one of us in this place tonight. 
Father, may we never be satisfied with thinking that we get the gospel. And as we move into the rest of this year as a church family and the rest of our lives, Father, after all that we've learned, may we come back time and time and time again to do business with you and all that you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. For that, we're eternally thankful. And we pray in his name now. Amen.